Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Greenhorns Radio, Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. I am your host, Entering Citrus Country. My name is Severin, and I am interviewing today Sarah Day Evans, who runs Appalachia Accelerator. And I got a hot tip that you were up to some good trouble, and I don't remember even who it was from because my memory is shot all to hell, but I'm happy to have you. Nice to, nice to have you on the show, Sarah Day. Hey, Severin, nice to be here. Um, you got that tip from David McConville, chair of the uh, Buckminster Fuller Institute and a good friend and mentor to me. Oh, cool. Well, let's let's give them a plug while we're at it. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about, did you get a prize or something, or what happened? Uh, no, David has um, <clears throat> just been a very important mentor um, and a trim tab, if you know what that is. Um, trim tab is a term uh, that came out of, I think, Bucky, about just sort of like a leverage point to sh- turn a ship um, in a, a small movement can make a big shift. And David showed up in my life in a way um, uh, that really helped me to um, to shift into this direction of focusing on supporting the regenerative economy in a more specific way than I had been. So, okay, so Buckminster Fuller Institute is a really cool resource. I'm, I was, uh, we were a, fi- a finalist last year for Agrarian Trust, and uh, I think FarmHack applied for it again this time, this next round. It's basically a very amazing institute that rewards social innovation, and what they mean by that is um, entrepreneurship, their business or nonprofit that is working to shift the system. Um, Buggy said, don't complain about what the system you're in. Build a new one that makes that system obsolete. Do you want to talk a little bit about how Accelerating Appalachia envisions the change? Uh, yeah, and sure. Thank the, you. The and that they um, want to build? Yeah, so what, what we're um, elevating, accelerating um, are the, the businesses that are aligning themselves with the biodiversity of our region in a more uh, grounded and closer to just working more closely with nature. Um, we just call them nature-based businesses, um, and they are either, you know, using regenerative practices or seeking to get there. And these are businesses that are specifically 
serving our basic needs of food, farming, um, food, clothing, um, wellness, and housing, um, shelter. So um, many of you may or may not know that Appalachia, especially southern and central Appalachia, are, is one of the most biodiverse regions in the world, depending on what you're measuring. You know, if it's salamanders, it's the most biodiverse. Um, the flora and fauna there are, again, it's all combined within the top five biodiverse regions in the world. And so it's... Wow. it's yeah, I know. It's pretty amazing. Um, and it has generated so much of the diversity in our um, a local economy. And when I speak of Appalachia, I'm talking <clears throat> the full region. There are 13 states. There are 420 counties. It's a huge swath from uh, New York down to Georgia and down even into Mississippi. Um, the region that I launched um, out of southern Appalachia, outside of um, Asheville, um, is particularly uh, robust and abundant. Um, there are um, such a diversity of botanicals there. Uh, we have, we're home to Agaya Herbs, which is an, an, a big herb botanical wellness company. Um, I think it has one of the most unparalleled um, food um, diversity um, regions. There are four... Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. I could go on and on. No, it's Stop really me. nice to get you to go on and on about how biodiverse and the natural wealth of your region, um, because so much of what we, the rest of the country, we who think about Appalachia as a region often think about mountaintop removal, mining yeah. companies, drug addiction, corporate monopoly, the railroads, the um, the annihilation of ecosystems, and um, the sentimentality uh, of, of loss. Yeah. And so for you to frame it in the opposite terms. <laughs> well, it just is. I mean, I'm just talking about what's real and what's there. dollars into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we actually what are is also... Your method? Okay, I'm sorry. There was a delay. No, don't be sorry. Yeah, so, so I, I just, I just couldn't. I'm having a little bit of a of trouble hearing, um, but 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 let me tell you one other really awesome thing about it is that uh, about four years ago, um, uh, several anthropologists also identified um, that same region, southern and central. We're talking about um, North Carolina, um, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, as being the most diverse food shed in North America. And that is based on the number of heirloom seeds under cultivation. There are over 1,500 heirloom seeds under cultivation in that region. And it's not just because they can grow there because of its, its particular climate, elevation, latitude. It's also because of the history and the, the, um, the family generations, starting with the Cherokee, that have passed down that wisdom um, to save seeds and to cultivate seeds. So it's a combination of, of what, you know, of, of the diversity of the place and then the knowledge that's been passed down. Um, and that really has sprung up this beautiful diversity of businesses and food, farming, fiber, forest products, botanicals, wellness. And I was seeing these businesses <clears throat> And I was I, I was working actually 
at the time with the Department of Commerce and working to solve for some of the hardest-hit counties in the region that had lost a lot of jobs through the industrial collapse of, of um, the furniture and textile and um, uh, farming, tobacco, all those losses. But I saw all these, like, sprouts coming up, these beautiful small businesses, and was just so inspired um, that I wanted to figure out how to continue to help them. Um, the program that I wow. Was, so you're one of those ladies who was sitting at those economic development desks, just waiting for the understory to show its bravery. Right. I mean, I'd been working for 20 years across Appalachia, first in environmental protection, and then in commerce, and then when the the politics shifted in North Carolina in 2010, they came in and cut. Um, a lot of green and sustainable programs, and mine was one of them, and so I was unemployed. Um, and But I didn't, it just didn't slow me down. Honestly, I was finding it difficult to solve the problems because of the structure of the structure of, of state and federal incentives are such that they dole out dollars, big dollars, for big industry if you're creating 100 jobs or more. But that just wasn't appropriate for our region, which is mountainous, um, which is geographically defined by small farms and small businesses. You can't have, like, a, you know, a 10,000, 20,000, you know, um, square foot facility so much. Um, you can't have a 10,000-acre farm. Geography defines that. And so that, um, that incentive just wasn't like a fit. And I even proposed at the time that we provide incentives to communities that were creating um, 100 jobs with a uh, hundred jobs with 50 businesses, you know, that had like two employees rather than one industry that had a mm-hmm. hundred jobs, you know, that the diversity, I just keep going back to diversity is key in everything that we do. Um, it's, it's key in, um, in a, uh, sustainability in a regenerative way, uh, diversity in crops, diversity in economies, any kind of mono-economy or a monocrop is subject to blight. And that's exactly what we've been dealing with, was this blight of industries that were, had collapsed and gone away and um, created this situation to begin with. So why don't we build something that um, incentivizes regenerative small businesses? And, you know, I was speaking to pretty much uh, – a system that was not hearing it. So I got to build well, this thing. Yeah. So uh, just to just to kind of clarify, um, well, two things. Number one thing is you had a you had a um, you have and had historically these extraction economies that really built the system and literally built the towns and built the city halls and built the libraries and built the roads all for coal and, um, and mining, and now that those industries have slumped in some cases and in other cases are taking more mechanical means to an end and have less employment requirements, now in this slump, which is, there's lots of places with the slump. slump yeah. is <laughs> the, the slump is a, a widely, widely characterizing 
framework for our uh, economic predicament. And in that slump, you want to um, hasten the diversification um, and development of multiple kinds of small businesses. And um, before, so just that was just my summary statement. Then my yeah. new provocation statement is, um, while I was in England with the young farmers in England who are called the Land Workers Alliance, they were talking about um, some of the their frustration with the common agricultural policy um, yeah. in Europe, which was putting down their um, its subsidies also more towards bigger players. And mm-hmm. um, and interesting work that was being initiated initiated in certain districts for cluster development and cluster proposals where, um, you know, a hackerspace or a solar workshop or a handicapped therapy session, a therapy group would all work together and have a kind of a synergistic uh, presence in a town working across sectors. And I know in, in Asheville, in Piedmont, biofuel, you have that. And I wonder if you could maybe talk about um, what that has meant for the place, for the community. Yeah, let's talk about what it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. And so, thank you for that. That's really cool. I love hearing um, about what you've, um, what you're seeing there um, over in England. Um, what what our program looks like on the ground is um, uh, functionally it, it we we. Uh, bring together a group of 10 to 12 um, of these regenerative businesses, um, and they go through a 12-week program with us and with each other. And there's a lot of strong peer support that is developed. And, um, again, reminding that these are businesses um, that are either, um, you know, providing our food or they are providing our shelter or they are providing our, our textiles, our natural our fiber farmers and wellness botanicals. Um, and so um, it's amazing how much they can overlap and support one another. That's as, as much as we, yes, we have a curriculum. Yes, we go through all the pieces and parts of their, their business model, and then we infuse in, into that, like, uh, you know, we go deep with them on uh, whatever piece it is that they're struggling with, um, if it's their marketing or if it's their regenerative practices, um, how can they connect to more farmers who are using regenerative practices? How can we help them build more regenerative supply chains? Um, are they seeking investment? If they are, um, how can they connect to people that have similar values? Um, because, you know, the venture capital industry is pretty extractive. But you probably know there's also this other world of people who want to invest in good. Um, and it's called impact investing. Not a pretty name, but that's what it's called currently. So all those pieces and parts. Of you're almost like, it sounds like you're almost like a coach. Like, a, like I don't are. want to say social a coach, worker, but like a case we're worker. connectors. Yeah. Um, absolutely, we're coaching them. We're connecting them. That's probably my greatest strength. Um, is just I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just from having been around a good long while. Um, and people seem to really like what we're doing. And a lot of people have come to the table. We have a huge network of just advisors, mentors, and impact investors. And it ranges from you know like people that want to just pool their funds 
and maybe put in 10K or, you know, we work with Kiva. We, we work with so many different folks or just a small group of folks that want to pull together and put in 25 or 50K. And then there's like the big funds like Renewal Partners, you know, up in Canada, and they're they're doing minimum investments of $2 million. But, you know, this is like we, we try to just have that whole range of options available, but it's not at all a requirement to be in our program that you're you don't have to be seeking investment. A lot of businesses just want to bootstrap it. Um, they don't want to take investment. And um, and so um, just helping them make the connections to do that. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards, the very best milk, What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. And so you're providing all this pollination services right? and connecting people and supporting people and, and probably encouraging and, and listening to sob stories. And, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> and is that is, is basically being paid for as a nonprofit or are you yeah, so a, if you're not Yeah, a we're a nonprofit, anymore, but we also earn anywhere from a third to a half of our revenues. And actually, we're seeking to earn more of those. Um, we also had a contract with Warren Wilson College where we were working with the sustainable business students. Um, that was just a limited wow. contract, but it was great because the students um, got to come in and be part of this. And um, really, some of them have gotten jobs with some of our businesses. And we worked some. With, we still work some with Berea, um, but the, they had they had uh, funding cuts there, like a lot of liberal arts colleges. Anyway, so we're now earning about a third of our revenues, and we're hoping to earn more by doing a revenue share with our businesses. What we're seeing is that about any from eighty to ninety percent of the businesses are actually doing well, and <clears throat> so and we've certainly helped in most cases. We can't help everyone. We try really hard, and we stick with them even after the twelve-week program. I do. I just like I can't quit you, beautiful businesses. So I hang around and I pester them. Um, but they, um, they're a lot of them are, are doing well, and so I'm like, well. Why don't we talk about a long-term um, revenue share with the businesses? Because we get really invested in them, and um, they seem pretty good with it. Um, so, in other words, over like a two- to three-year period, we would get a small percentage of their revenues. Um, and some aren't going to you know, make it, um, but some are, and actually a good percentage of ours are. So... Um, I, 
you know, I, I never well, that, have... I mean, figuring out how to be comfortable enough with the numbers underlying a business mm-hmm. to have confidence to improvise a payment structure that allows all the par- you know that pays the honeybee. Yeah, is, it's not like um, we're taking an equity stake or anything. I'm not taking ownership in the business that that forces a sale somewhere down the road. It's more it just we're just sharing in um, you know and continuing to support them. It's like we're we're just earning we're earning our revenues through through um, uh, helping them as they um, as they develop. Um, well, I could go down a bunny rabbit hole uh, on this subject for a long time, but I felt like. In our limited time, I want to make sure you have a chance to talk about what kinds of businesses specifically these are. Yeah. And, um, so glad, yes. And especially in that textile. I know that all the yeah. hipsters are talking about their blue jeans are made in North, Car- North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, so um, there is... Um, so yeah, that, that some great examples of what these businesses look like. Um, there is um, a malt house in, called Riverbend Malt House, so the only malt house in the southeast for craft brewing and distilling. And they hire about 20 farmers, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Virginia, and um, those farmers are growing barley and rye. And so they are, they've seen an incredible um, explosion of growth um, because of the demand for craft brewing and also now uh, distilling and I'm a native Kentuckian and um, and actually I'm, I'm in Kentucky now so by the way we're in so you both cannot you cannot talk you cannot not talk about bourbon yeah exactly and I work with the, I'm working with the bourbon folks right now to help them they've so we've connected them to the malt house who can provide them with a local source of malt. And um, they're working uh, right now, the Riverbend Malt House is working to get a malt to the specifications of one of the big bourbon com- companies so that they can um, they can go deeper with their local and regional sourcing. I mean, they're here in Kentucky, um, but they're sourcing from way out in the northwest. And, um you know, at least start to edge in some of the support for, you know, farmers in this region. Um, and then the other beautiful piece about this is that our businesses, because they are the customers of farmers, um, they can pass along the the knowledge of holistic management to the farmers. And that's really a, that's a trim tab for us. That point, I couldn't emphasize it enough, is that our strategy, by helping these businesses that are farmers' customers, and we estimate we've got about 500 family farmers being supported by 35 businesses right now, um, that they can say, hey, you know, to their farmer, hey, we've got this great little booklet on holistic management. Would you like to take a look at it? And we have people in our network that teach um, holistic management, and if you want to learn more about using those land use uh, techniques and practices, we can help you with that. So that's our way of being able to influence um, exponentially farmers. Because I'm glad that you know Alan Savory and there's folks out there doing the um, the hubs and training farmers individually um, as they you know decide to sign up, but. Um, We've been at this with just um, helping to influence 
farmers. Um, and there's an economic incentive because these businesses are their customers. So there's a malt house. Um, then there's Carolina Ground. Um, they <clears throat> It's a organic flour mill, um, also the only organic flour mill in the southeast um, that's sourcing regionally. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are other organic flour mills, but they source regionally. Her wheat is from North Carolina, Georgia, like maybe South Carolina. So, again, we're just honing in on regional supply chains. Then there, speaking of textiles, there is um, Echo View Fiber Mill, and she is the first fiber mill built in the southeast, I think, in 40 years, and it's a gold lead certified fiber mill, and she takes um, uh, uh, alpaca wools, and um, she they turn them into, um, uh, of course, yarn. Um, so they're uh, fiber processing. Um, Smiling Hara Tempe, they've now launched a product called Hempe, which is absolutely off the chain. It is the best Tempe I've ever had, and everybody, like, it's, like, amazing. So they're now using hemp seed, um, and we connected them to Kentucky farmers uh, growing hemp because Kentucky, these guys got a permit early on to grow hemp. Um, and so that whole connection uh, from North Carolina to Kentucky has been really valuable for all involved in that. And Hempe is now on the shelves across the southeast and the Midwest, so I'm, like, totally going to make a plug. Check out their Hempe. It's so amazing. Um, and, um, and then our alpaca farm here, River Hill Ranch, um, and Bakwa brand is a ancient grain barley beverage. Um, <clears throat> it's like it's a replacement for all the Gatorade junk, you know, out there. This is an ancient grain tisane. It's a lemonade. It's a lemon barley drink that's been used since the ancient Greeks. It's amazing no one has started it there. Um, we've got a chia company. They're the only chia being grown in um, north of the equator. Um, Gosh. <laughs> Whoa, they're growing chia in Appalachia? Yep, yep, yep. Not just Appalachia, but the urban hubs. Let's get, uh, I want to get clear around that, too. So, like, our our, our, our reach is um, the urban hubs are important because this is often where these businesses are that are supporting farmers in rural regions. Um, yeah, so this is an early blooming chia. It's non-GMO. Um, and it, he's got some farmers growing it organically, some not. Um, but its quality is really great because the quality control is very high compared to importing chia. Um, and not to say there's not good importers. It's just well, our quality control here is really high in the U.S. anyway around um around imports. I mean, around. No, I, you don't have to convince me. I've just been learning last in the last radio episode about what a great proportion of rations that are fed to organic dairy animals and meat animals in the in the northeast are fed from imported grain because the production of organic grain in the United States is is so low and that we've right. got to increase the production within our region. Um Wow, Chia, that's so exciting. Yeah, so um, the, is that 
you know, are, are those enough examples? I could go on and on. I'm, I love these businesses yeah, so no, much. No, this is great examples, and I feel like I want to give you the chance to synthesize and and um, but very quickly. Okay. Um, you know, what does this what does this represent? This is a this is a strategy for economic development. Um, but development is a word that has meant many things to many people, and in some cases, totalitarian empire. But the development you're talking about, can you characterize the economy you're aiming for? The de- economy I'm aiming for is entirely predicated around diversity, diversity of people, diversity of plants, um, a, diverse, a diverse economy, a diverse ecosystem is life. I mean, it's just that clear for me, uh, and I think for others, um, <clears throat> that recognizing the wisdom of nature, which is, you know, we are part of nature. I mean, as Wendell said, you cannot separate, you can't heal the land apart from the people or the people apart from the land and bell hooks. These are two people who are very important in my life, very good friends who I grew up with. Um, and Bell has to say that social justice is ecological justice, and ecological justice is social justice. We are a part of nature. However, we've also become something of a parasite. Um, and I'm like, is that the way that we're going to go? Is this how it's going to go? Um, um, or what's the alternative? And um, for me, it's more just been a discovery. Um, yes, I absolutely was fortunate to have a free-range childhood uh, across Appalachia and experience a life in nature. My parents just let me go. And so that certainly I have that connection that I worry that some people don't get. Um, and so, it's, but this discovery, as I continue to move along, we move along through this program, the people that are showing up and what they're doing and the integrity with which they're doing it um, give me immense amounts of hope and um, that we can't, we, just as Bucky said, we, it's, it's building an economy that makes the old one obsolete. And that's what we are doing. Wow. So if people want to become part of your cluster, and, you know, I could use a fairy godmother pollinator mentor coach myself, <laughs> but uh, people who are in your area of service, how do they sign up and find you and access that? Yeah. So um, they are, I mean, of course, we're on the usual social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I'm at Sarah Day, S-A-R-A-D-A-Y at acceleratingappalachia.org. That info is on our website, acceleratingappalachia.org. Um, you can follow us and like a, our follow our newsletter. I'm not big on sending out a ton of newsletters, um, maybe quarterly. Um, and I will add that we're adding a new piece of curriculum. Our next session is going to be this summer. It'll be in Kentucky and Tennessee um, and North Carolina because we move it around. We take our 10 entrepreneurs and we hit the road. It's really fun. Um, we get a lot of applications. We actually get applications from all over the globe. We're still trying to figure that one out. Um, about 15% are from outside the country. But reach us at Excel, uh, 
Serenay at acceleratingappalachia.org. Um, and uh, we're excited about this curriculum because not only are we infusing holistic management, we're also adding diversity as an asset training because so many of our, um, our businesses are, uh, are white, led by white folks. Um, 75% of them are women, but um, we are working to help white folks understand the importance of, of diversity, and I'm talking about cultural diversity. Wow, I'm really thankful for your work and grateful for your time and impressed with your vision and glad that there's ladies like you in the world. I wish there were ladies like you everywhere. And if you happen to be a lady who's listening who could be that kind of a lady and cash out of your other job and do Hell yeah. <laughs> it was really scary. The time but is now. We really need you. and We, we can, really just, do. Gonna, God, there's so many amazing gonna, women. Yes. There, I mean, i got to tell you, you've got so many folks that really care and really want to give back um, to community. So um, get on board with us. And if you want to figure out a place to network with other such ladies and guys and people, um, the Bali Conference would be a great place to start. Bali stands for Building Alliances for Local Living Economies, and they have a national conference where all these kinds of busybodies for good, yeah. get together. I'm a Bali and fellow. Think, oh, you are? Yeah. So you, you didn't know that. Ah. Well, yeah, bealocalist.org. Bealocalist.org. But anyway, I um, thank you, thank you, and You're everybody, um, please spread the word to your favorite aunties and um, nudge them. I think particularly now that lots of weird things are going to come down. Yeah. It's like it is exactly the right moment to disengage from the big stuff and right. re-engage we just have to unify stuff. in our regions and um, and get those aunts and uncles on board. The woman that founded Bali, she's got a whole network up in Pennsylvania of aunts and uncles. That's what they do. All with right, young everybody. Folks. Thank you for listening. All Please right. order your almanac. Thank you for being so great. Absolutely. Much love. Much love. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.